Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Williamson. Matt, the regular season has come to an end. The playoffs are here. The fantasy season is over. I'm ready for the Dynasty offseason. What, what about you? Yeah, I got to say, I'm pretty excited, not only for the playoffs. I'm, I'm excited to not talk about the Browns and Bears and Jags and all those teams week to week and get a little bit out of the monotony that becomes my life you know for 17 weeks in a row it's really groundhog day week after week so this week will be fun and new and then from our perspective we can start focusing on the bears and browns and teams (laughs) that might be picking guys to fix and off seasons and i gotta say as much as i love watching football my strength in my opinion and my one of my favorite things is analyzing the off season moves and why the strategy goes into it all so i'm really excited to get into that stuff yeah it's it's a fun time of year. We're going to be talking a ton over the next few weeks about the 2017 rookie draft, and we've already tackled that a little bit, and there'll be much more to come. Today, though, we're actually going to talk about, I think most people consider this maybe the best part of Dynasty fantasy football, and that is making trades. Matt, in fact, as soon as we logged on here to see each other, you pulled off a trade. What, what was that one? I think it's in Dwayne's honor, to be honest with you. I mean, because an email popped up as I'm signing into our Google Hangout, and I was offered Terrell Pryor straight up for Isaiah Crowell. And I ran it by you. I was doing it with or without you, but I ran it by you. I'm like, I have to hit accept on this, right? And you're like, you got to hit accept by this. And then Dwayne signed on. I told him, he's like, oh, yeah, it's a no-brainer. So that was the easiest trade in history. It's just one of those ones that pop up. You hit accept, you move on, and you say thank you very much. Yeah, some deals like that you don't even you don't even try to push for more. You just right. uh, take mean, it at face value and walk away happy. And I'm psyched to talk trades, and, and I'm, I'm sure Dwayne does this all the time too. But often, if a trade like that comes up, I send it back and like throw in a third round pick, and they always say yes. But this one, I just wanted to boom. I'll take it, take it, and run. Matt, you've already mentioned our guest a little bit. We do have Dwayne Brown. Dwayne is a writer with me over at DLF. Uh, he's also very active on Twitter. Uh, one of my favorite follows on there. And if you already follow Dwayne, you know that he is known for making dynasty trades and making a lot of them. So Dwayne, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Matt. So Dwayne, we were talking a little bit earlier this this week. And like I said, I know just from following you and from having some interactions with you, I knew you made a bunch of dynasty trades each and every year. And in fact, I think Upon your last count, you were well over 150 dynasty trades this past season. Yeah. So what I didn't know, though, is how many leagues you played in. Some of these crazy dynasty owners, myself included, play in 10 or 15 or or 20 dynasty leagues. And if you're making 150 trades across that number of leagues, you know, that's, that's reasonable. That makes sense. I think it would still be on the high number. But I just found out you play in what five or six dynasty leagues. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I trade a lot. <laughs> so so you get these 150, 160, whatever it was trades across just five leagues. And I guess my first question is, why do you make so many trades? Obviously, it is a fun part of dynasty. But what compels you to make so many trades uh, across your leagues? I think it's a fear of missing an opportunity to react. In the offseason, everybody gets really excited about youth and building and uh, the potential of a player. 
But as soon as things start happening, players fail, players succeed, there's injuries, there's everything. And if you can react quickly enough, people's values haven't caught on yet. Kind of these windows, like you can, you watch Todd Gurley versus San Francisco do nothing. Then week two, uh, he does nothing. Right then I was like, okay, like this defense didn't look good to me when I watched them. It's time to move now. So I moved all my Todd Gurley shares. I was like, this could be a bad thing or this could be a good thing. It's dynasty. If you make a lot of trades, if you make mistakes, like say Todd Gurley were to come back. I moved to people I trusted, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott. That was it. And I think one shared, I think that was it. But I always move someone I trust who's failing or showing the possibility for failing for somebody I trust more. Um, Le'Veon Bell was kind of sketchy, but I'm always trying to gain trust in the roster that I put out. I think that makes a lot of sense. One, um, you know, one thing that I think a lot of people deal with, and, and I have, you know, I have Gurley on one of my rosters, and even seeing him struggle and, and getting to the point where I wasn't even starting him on a week-to-week basis, I still didn't necessarily shop him because I'm thinking, you know, 2017, he could live up to those expectations. 2018, you know, he could still be a top three, top five running back. So I don't want to miss out on that. But I guess when you make so many trades, you know, you can just have the mindset of when that happens, I'll, you know, I'll trade back for him. Is that, is that kind of how you view things? That's exactly it. Um, if you trade a lot, your mistakes are limited. If something happens, you can bail out really quickly because you, my whole goal is to set up a core of players that I can rely on to start. Everything else is just bouncing around values. Like, Underneath, I have my core starters. Underneath, I'm just bouncing like, constantly. I, I think in one league last year, I made 60 trades, but I ran eight of the same 10 starters all year. So it was just to gain values. So do you feel – I think we've, we we should share a brain on this, and you're more active than I am. I do think Dynasty favors the active owners much more so than Redraft or anything. I mean, the, the active owners to me – uh, get the worm, but I kind of look at it from this perspective. And if I make a hundred trades and I lose some, I win some, but if I win by an average of 1% each trade, you know, every trade I make, I think I get a little something more. That's why I did it. And if I do that a hundred times, I have a dollar, you know, <laughs> you know, a hundred pennies exactly. equal a dollar. Exactly. Yeah. And a dollar is Ezekiel Elliott. So, Dwayne, you mentioned having a few players that on this one specific roster that you were able to maintain from week to week over the full season. Do you have players that you would consider, you know, I guess untouchable or untradeable? No, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody's untradeable. It's all about – I think once you say that, like I'm not trading David Johnson, I'm not trading Aaron Rodgers, I'm not trading – you're not trading the t- – you're – you've t- basically taken a redraft stance and saying, well, I'm, I'm in it for this year. But if a guy offers you enough, that next guy that comes along to be the next David Johnson, to be the next Le'Veon Bell, the, the Ezekiel Elliott's of the world, you could have them plus more, which allows you to get underneath your roster, underneath your starters, and build it back up. 
So everybody's tradable. If if you love Odell Beckham, you can love Odell Beckham. But if somebody offers you, somebody loves him more. You said a lot of good things, and I kind of look at it like kind of walking up a ladder too, as if. If I can make these two trades to give me one more commodity that I know I can move the gym in my league because he loves the Bears or he loves Jordan Howard or something, it, you start to learn your the players you're playing against his weaknesses really too. That there's a guy that this dude absolutely covets because it's his hometown or he thinks he's a superstar. If I can somehow pry him away from this other owner and then shop him to this guy, it might take me four deals to do it, but I'm going to win in the end. Exactly. Exactly. You just play to what people want. Right. Best time to sell a player is when people want to buy a player. All right. Let's dig into a few of your recent trades, Dwayne. Um, I know, at least according to what you have shared on Twitter, you've already made three trades since the season wrapped up uh, over the past week or so. The first one was you gave Mike Evans, uh, which is obviously a hot commodity. He is a player that I think – just about everyone would want to buy right now. You gave Mike Evans, you got Amari Cooper and the 1.03 rookie pick. So talk to us a little bit about that deal. Well, I'm just a big Amari Cooper fan. I think uh, he's, he's kind of got Odell quicks off the line. He's got a lot of movement. He struggled a little bit getting the red zone targets, but I think there's a progression to be had there. And the 103 carries so much weight in the off season. If I can get the 103, and I know I'm going to hit a waiver wire hard because I'm an active owner, and uh, if I can package that up or I package Amari Cooper back up and go for Odell Beckham, like the only person that I have rated higher, why not do it? Yeah, I loved I love that deal for you. And don't you kind of feel that as great as Evans is, and if you were in a you know if you were a startup, you might take him second or whatever. It's awful hard for his value to go up any more than it is right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's a sell-high type of deal. And Cooper hasn't played very well lately, but I don't think any of us question his abilities or his situation. Well, even that 1.03 rookie pick is going to end up, you know, by the time we're in the middle of the offseason, that's going to be a top 24 overall asset would be my my estimation. So I, I really like that deal for you. Your next one, you traded Le'Veon Bell, and you acquired Rob Gronkowski and the 1.01 rookie pick. Yeah. For me, this was just a no-brainer. Like, I, I love Bell. I think he's possibly the best back in the league. He's behind the great. But Rob Gronkowski, like, he's, his value is going to fall, but the 101 isn't. And uh, I was a little bit shallow in this league. I w- actually went undefeated in this league. It was my first startup league. Uh, it's a super flex where I went 16-0. and 0, So I ran the table. And uh, I just wanted to get a little depth. I made a couple moves just to, just to solidify a win. And um, I gave away a couple pieces to gain a little bit of age. But the more pieces I can get, I might end up trading down the, one point, the, the first overall pick. Um, because it is a super flex league. There's a couple good quarterbacks coming out, and people love Fournette and Dalvin Cook and Corey Davis. So it was just all about building and keeping the – and I think that Rob Gronkowski's not done. Like, there's a lot of kind of misinformation out there that he had a fused spine and everything like that. Like, he's not done. He's still going to – his value's low now, which made it 
him a great buy, but uh, as soon as he's back on a field making catches, value comes back up. Every, everything comes back up. That's an easy one for me. I mean, I don't think any of us would trade Bell for the 1-1, but by no means do I think that gap equals Rob Gronkowski either. <laughs> I mean, even if, only Gronk, if Gronk only plays one or two more years, he's still going to catch 20 touchdowns and a two-year you know, two stretch. He's always going to be productive if he's on the field. He's an every-week starter. Not to mention, and you kind of mentioned this, you kind of brought this up too. I mean, from now on, and as active as you are as a trader – you're going to get a lot more offers in your inbox for one, one than you are for bell too. You know, I mean, people are going to be pounding your door. The more they find out about these guys for one, one. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the thing about being an active owner. Like when I say available, they know it's available. I'm not it's really, just, right. it's really available. I'm ready to move. Like send me offers because this will likely be moved for the best, best value, best offer I get. It doesn't matter if people don't have any fear of coming to me because I trade so much that they know that a rejection isn't personal. It's just, I'm, I'm just out there. They're going to see counter offers. They're going to see, and I I do it in a kind way. Like I I don't like just saying that was a terrible offer. There's no sense making a person feel bad that they took the time to try to formulate an offer. I know when I formulate offers, sometimes like I'm quick because I make so many of them. Um, sometimes I'm a little quick and I don't really think them out completely, but it's all about just moving, just moving and making your team league mates feel comfortable with moving with you. That certainly makes sense. And, and and we all have them. I'm sure there's a couple guys in my league where I'm like, I'm not even going to bother off. I'm not even going to hit send on the offer because it's not worth it. You know, it's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to do anything in response where if you're the opposite, people are going to be hitting you hard and you want to get hit hard that's how you make trades oh that's yeah. right that's how- <laughs> it makes it fun too yeah there's always that little moment of excitement when you get a trade offer and then you know i think for most of us that that goes nowhere you know it's a bad offer or or whatever may be the case um you know but for you it sounds like you're more opportunistic about those things and uh and explore those Dwayne, your last trade of this brand new off season was Michael Thomas, the 2.04 rookie pick and the 2.12 rookie pick for Deandre Hopkins. So obviously, you know, Hopkins had a disappointing season, but I take it that you still see him as, as a player to buy and specifically a player to buy low. Yeah. Well, with, uh, with Hopkins, I still, believe strongly in his talent I think uh ever since Jordy Nelson went down with the with the knee injury Hopkins took over as the best boundary receiver in the game even though he was getting he wasn't producing at all like Will Fuller was getting a lot of targets at the start of the year kind of drawing defenses I just believe in the talent and Michael Thomas is great as Michael Thomas is has he's a hot commodity now I love selling people when they're the hottest I think Michael Thomas going to be up there with like his ADP will probably sit next to cooks in the off season. I'm guessing they're, they're kind of going to range off each other. And then, but in actuality, I'm not sure. Like, I think breeze can support, support both. Hopkins can take over games. Um, I saw it with Savage. Like he, he just kind of rebounded as soon as everything was coming together. 
And I, I just believe it's going to come back. Same with Allen Robinson, really. See, I believe in Allen Robinson more than I do Hopkins. I think Allen Robinson has is more gifted, is a more talented player. I think you made a good point that as soon as Osweiler came out of there, they peppered Hopkins with targets. I mean, I, I could foresee a scenario where that continues next year. But of your three deals, this is the one I disapprove of most. <laughs> yeah, I just think that uh, Hawkins just isn't one of my guys. I don't own him anywhere. I think he's r- a really good player, but I don't, I'm not even sure he's as talented as Michael Thomas in the real world. And maybe that's my scouting background that, uh, you know, and I overlook the fantasy aspect and I look at it and say, man, I, I want the guy that jumps out of the gym and runs a 4 3. And Hopkins to me is a catch point player and a very good one but he's not a separation guy or a big play guy. And I like those two second round picks too. And I'm sure you could, you know, as oh, a trader. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you're a trader. I'm sure you, you know, would gladly use them to package them into something else. Yeah, see, that's, that's part of the deal with me too. Like um, I have to make trades that people don't like because it keeps the volume going. They'll be like, you lost that trade. I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm glad that you feel that I lost that trade. Make me another offer. Let's let's go, because I probably lose one out every four trades easily. But that's um, fine. But I win, and I trade yeah, so much that it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's like Vegas. I mean, you're not going to hit every game, but if you can beat the spread fifty five percent of the time, you're winning. Exactly. Ryan, what do you think on that one? Then I want to tell people about mm-hmm. our sponsor. Yeah, I probably agree with you that that was the closest one for me. Um, Dwayne mentioned. Thomas and his, his off-season ADP. We're just starting the January mock drafts at DLF. Uh, we're, we're a couple, two, three rounds into those. And uh, there's six drafts. I think Thomas has come off the board in the first round in two or three of those. Wow. So his, his value is really, really climbing. He's, you know, he's ahead of cooks? Uh, in some cases, yes. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're kind of flip-flopped and – you know, depending on which draft you look at. But uh, I would agree, without really looking at the numbers yet, I would agree with Dwayne that they are going to be uh, very similar as far as their ADP. Yeah, I think so too. Guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor, our buddies at Harry's. Uh, they got some new things going on. They've been supporting us now for several months. I've been using their product every day. And they're, they've been fantastic because I have a really sensitive skin. I used to be an electric guy for that reason, but I've switched because of our sponsor, Harry's. They're fantastic. Their story is for decades now, one big razor companies relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, these are two buddies, they fed up and they're tired of getting ripped off. And so they started Harry's to fix shaving. Uh, Harry's knew there'd only be one way to ensure quality. So they bought their own factory. And by taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades for half the price. Just two bucks a blade compared to four bucks a blade or more that you pay at the drugstore. It's a really good deal that they got going. And what do you get with Harry's? Harry's razors include everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. You get a weighted aerodynamic handle. It feels good in your hand. Five precise engineered blades with a lubricating strip, trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover, and... Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their shave set for free. You heard that right. Just cover shipping when you sign up. Plus, as a special offer to fans of our show, you go to harrys.com 
and you enter the code DYNASTY at checkout to get a positive shave balm. And also, they throw the shave balm in free just for putting DYNASTY. The balm feels great. So go to harrys.com, and the code is DYNASTY. Thanks again to Harry's. Good stuff. Dwayne, let's look back now at some of your your trades that you've completed over the past season. Uh, Again, we mentioned that there's, you know, between 150 and 200 of these transactions that you've made just across a a handful of leagues. What are some of the deals that proved – we'll start out with with some good news. What are some of the trades that proved to be your best trade, your best deals? Um, Well, there's a couple of them. I traded, I guess, early in the season when Will Fuller was blown up. I wasn't a Will Fuller fan. I thought he was kind of like a field stretcher, uh, like a don't really know how to compare him. Philip Dorsett out of Indy type player, um, maybe with a little more dynamics to his game. But I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't think he was like a, a baller, as you'd call it. Um, so I traded for Michael Thomas. And Jordan Howard, that was a nice deal. Wow, that worked out well. Unfortunately, I ended up flipping Howard. Uh, but still, still you'd rather have Thomas than you'd rather have Thomas and Fuller, and whatever you got for Howard's gravy. So, in in the Fuller situation, did you just look at it like, boy, this guy's stock is flying after a couple of weeks, and he's really not that good? That I got to get rid of him. Yeah, well, I kind of look at. Uh, if if efficiency is too good to be true, it's good to be true. Uh, with Fuller, he was just taking off like he was just skyrocketing, and he was getting getting a lot of targets. Hopkins, Hopkins looked bad. Everything kind of wasn't going well for Hopkins, and I was like, you know what, Fuller's just flying. I think me and Ryan actually moved him way up in our dynasty rankings, but I knew it was a time to sell. Everybody was into it. And Michael Thomas hadn't done much. And I was like, you know, I kind of like this guy a little more. I like him more pre-draft. Um, so I just rigged it, right? Yeah, Fuller's probably one of my biggest regrets of the season. Dwayne, like you, I was not a fan. I, across all my many leagues, I only ended up with one share. And that was in a rookie auction, which I kind of got caught holding the bag there and ended up with him on my roster. But then I, I totally bought in after those first two weeks. And like you said, I, I moved him way up my rankings. I went out and bought him in one league and tried to buy him in, in several others. So I guess, you know, that's a case where I didn't stick to my initial, my initial value on the player, my initial feelings on just his skills overall. And, you know, sometimes that, uh, sometimes you have to reevaluate those things uh, when, when players surprise us. But uh, that's that's a case where it came back to bite me a little bit. Dwayne, I'm curious, and I get like this, and I know sometimes it can be a weakness of mine. You know, if I self scout myself as a dynasty owner and as a trader, sometimes I got a guy on my roster, and like Fuller's a perfect example. I own him nowhere. I never really liked him from the beginning, so I never ended up getting him much like Ryan. But if I would have had him week two, week three. I would have, he would have been a hot potato. Like, I have to trade this guy. You know, I would have shopped them to everyone. And I get to that point sometimes where somebody just needs to go. Do you get like that too? Like, this guy's burning a hole. I know he has value. I got to get out. I, I got to get move on from him. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, if a, if a guy gets too hot, uh, 
unless there's absolutely no market for the player, you have to move them. Like, I, I can't really think right off the bat on who got too hot for me to move other than Fuller. But uh, Is Zeke too hot to move? I mean, is he somebody you have to move now because he's so crazy hot? Oh, I'd move Zeke. Zeke just ran against the easiest schedule in the NFL. Uh, yep. If I'm, uh, he's got the best offensive line. Uh, Dak Prescott, everybody's in love with him, but he didn't. He wasn't really asked to do much. Uh, he's, why not move when the it's the hottest? Uh, you got to get a lot for him though. No, oh, it's hot. You have to find that player that's willing to pay. Uh, like you need because he's probably in the. I, I think Ryan tweeted out the ADP. I think he was in the top three or top two. I'd want, I'd want a top eight asset plus plus. Why not? And you'd probably get it from the right guy. Exactly. And Dak to me obviously won't get one ten. We won't get half as much. But I would move him now in a heartbeat. I mean, somebody's gonna look at him and say, "I'm gonna start Dak Prescott for the next twelve years on my dynasty team." And you know, you can go, man. Really. Like, uh, I look at the teams that he actually played against with defense, like, that actually kind of drew stuff up against him. Uh, the Giants, and Dak's a good quarterback. Dallas could have won those games with Tony Romo in there. You bet. Oh, yeah. I agree. Let's look at the other side of, of the deal now and some trades that um, maybe looked good at the time but did not work out well for you. Did you have any of those this year? I'm, I'm sure with so many trades you had a few. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I kind of wrote this up the second part of uh, the deal where I got Jordan Howard and Michael Thomas because I, I kind of snowball deals. I was like, well, I'm not a huge fan of Jordan Howard. I think he'll be replaced. I, I, I don't think he really catches the ball that well. They'd probably look for more dynamic. I gave him away for uh, two second rounders. It's not that two second rounders is a horrible return for That's any. That's not awful, right. Running back. It's not awful. We all agree you lost, but that's not awful. Yeah, but now I I figure I could have gotten a mid first. Yeah, it's just it was just a loss of value. But I do that. I lose value all the time by making quick deals like that because I use those two second rounders again to package up for somebody else. That person's probably gone too. So, do you kind of get this impression too, like? I like moving guys quick. You know, if I happen to – if there's a hot guy on the waiver wire and I, I get the biggest bid and he comes to my team and somebody immediately offers me a second-round pick for him, boom, gone. You know, I didn't even know you. Get out of here. Or, you know, you get a throw-in in a deal and he gets hot. Or you pick somebody off waivers in the offseason and he gets hot. Like, I don't always look at, it like, what I have invested. But a lot of times I'm like, I'll just take a profit on this guy get out, move on to the next deal. Maybe I get more if I time it perfectly, but sometimes it's just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just take it when I can. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As soon as you pick them up and the guy making you an offer, that's free money right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that will make me hold a guy. Uh, just draft position, a change in or quarterback. Because I may want to see – what's going on, and if his value will improve. But it's pretty rare. Like, even guys like Tyree Kill, I picked him up and sold him right away across every one of my leagues. I thought that's exactly what I would have done, too. Uh, but to me, his, his stock is as high as it will ever, ever be. Dwayne, looking forward to this offseason, and obviously it's just beginning for Dynasty players, who are some 
players that you think you would probably be targeting uh, over the next few months? Everybody that's injured. Everybody that's <laughs> nice. uh, Keenan Allen. Uh, yeah, Keenan Allen, Rob Gronkowski, Tyler Eifert. Everybody whose value took a hit. Dante Moncrief. Uh, if a player gets hurt, their value falls. When they climb the, get back on the field, their value climbs. It's, I think it's the most concrete thing in fantasy football. Uh, injury is going to cause a decline. Field play is going to cause field play and production is going to cause an increase. So buy during a decline, or buy when the stats kind of lie. Like I like to buy like oh this this player was uh, highly inefficient, and then you but you look in the context behind him and he faced like nine man boxes or ten, and uh, the quarterback sucked. Like things change, things like that change all the time. So you look in there and then. You just kind of buy talent. Buy talent that's low. That's that's it. It doesn't matter who it's going to be. If it's if it's a name and I can make a profit on them, that's all I'm going for. One question to both of you, and Ryan, I think we talked about this early in the Dynasty Blueprint beginning stages. During, right around free agent, or like like I just I just made that deal Crowell for Pryor, and Pryor is going to be a free agent. Do you think it's a good time to buy free agents to be before they move, or is it a good time to sell them? I tend to think it's a good time to sell them. I mean, although I just bought one one second ago. It just seems like that everyone's optimistic that Kenny Britt's going to end up in New England or, you know, all these years. Alshon Jeffrey's going to go play with Drew Brees or something. Probably not going to happen. I think a lot of times we can let, you know, we can let Twitter tell that story and then just follow along, you know? So if, if that becomes the narrative that, yeah, Kenny Britt's going to New England and he's going to be a top 20 dynasty wide receiver again, then yeah, then you sell. But I think in a lot of cases there are those impending free agents or players who, players who could benefit from others leaving who are looking to gain, gain playing time, gain a larger role. And in some cases, they're they're underrated. They're not being talked about very much. So I think it. I guess really, it just comes down to a specific that guy in that situation, right? It's not necessarily one blanket answer. Yeah, yeah. For me personally, I I, I tend to always look at a player's value uh, exactly where he is, and just assume he's going to stay, and assume. But I let that. That's just me personally. But I. I don't really care about me when I'm doing a dynasty league. I care about everybody else's opinion. Right. Right. Um, me too. It's a good way of putting it. If, if everybody's like, yeah, that guy's great. I'm like, yeah, that guy's great. Here, take him from me. Or that, that guy's terrible. Yeah. You don't want him. Like everybody doesn't want him. I should take him. Especially like with throwing just- guys, like you have a pretty good deal set up and it's like, Eh, throw in that guy you hate. I mean, nobody wants him anyways. I'll probably cut him in a week. Nobody there. wants right. that guy you hate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dwayne, who are some players uh, that you'd be selling in the coming months? I'd probably be selling Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Tyreek Hill, if I owned any of Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. I'd sell anybody that anybody really wants to buy. If you're excited you should come see me because I'll sell them to you. It's just all about return. 
I'm I'm not really focused on selling any player off my roster. You have to want them because if you're just fire sailing people and being like, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of anybody. Uh, Adam Thielen, say, um, I'm not a huge fan of Adam Thielen. I think he's done well in the situation he's been given, but I think that'll change next year. And you're low on a player. Don't sell them. Don't sell them because you're low on a player. That won't make your profit. Sell them when people like them. You mentioned Thielen. Is a guy like Treadwell on your radar now? Then, as a buy low, it's, it's so tough. Like there's draft stock, and but you look at the list of players that didn't produce year one and couldn't right. even get on a field, and it's so small. What Chris Carter and uh, Vincent Jackson? I can't really think of any. Yeah, Vincent Jackson. He went to a tiny um, school, and Chris Carter was a supplemental pick. I mean, they weren't exactly first-round picks coming out either. No, so it's it's kind of tough. Like you're, I loved Cody Latimer coming out. I thought Cody Latimer was too. like, um, I thought he was like a Jordan Matthews 2.0 type player. Sometimes the brain isn't there that keeps up with the NFL. It doesn't mean the talent isn't there. The playbook confuses a person. Sometimes the coach doesn't gel well. Um, there's a lot of context behind what we can't see and what we don't know that makes these things hugely risky to actually invest in them. Said, if somebody's throwing me in for cheap. Dwayne, you've mentioned this or alluded to this a couple of times. Do you have that, I guess, that stock market mentality of you feel like you have to sell a player whenever he is at his highest value, whatever you determine that to be? Or are there some cases where, you know, Julio Jones, is, his value is never going to be higher than it is right now. It's, it's going downhill from here, but I need him to win this championship so you keep him. What are your thoughts on that situation? Uh, I'll, I'll sell anybody if their value is high enough. Um, problem, like some people think their values can't get higher. Like we saw Odell Beckham come out after that hamstring injury of his rookie year. And he started on, he, he lit the world on fire. And we're like, well, he's not going to go, he's not going to get much higher. And uh, this is the year Jordy Nelson was going off. Like, and I'm like, I'm going to give you Jordy Nelson in the first for, for Odell Beckham. And everybody's like, no, you overpaid. This is like three weeks in. I'm like, this kid is special. That's before Jordy's injury and, you know, he was tearing it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, everybody's like, oh, you overpaid. I'm like, well, this is this is one player that I believe I did not overpay. Uh, I'm going to wait. And by the end of the year, he's the 1.01 in startups. Sometimes you roll the dice. And Jordy, was, Jordy might have been my favorite receiver in the NFL at that time. And I still had to move him. It's pretty gutsy. Dwayne, along those lines, the big trades that I've screwed up most are the ones where – boy, I really like this team. As usual, I got a lot of extra picks. Before the season starts, I'm going to go all in and buy somebody huge, and I'm going to win this league, and I'm going to be rich. And I remember doing it for Corderell Patterson. I did it for Monte Ball. Like, every guy I picked and I did it with, I just screwed it up. And to me, that was the – maybe I'm just unlucky on those couple of deals, but it was like – I was overly aggressive looking for that final piece. I was wondering if those were mistyped deals for you two in the past. 
Um, well, I was lucky enough to avoid Cordero Patterson. Um, I, I kind of heading back, not a wide receiver. Um, I avoided Justin Hunter that same year, but yeah, I loved him I've too. <laughs> bought into Monty Ball, Ball too, like crazy. So, uh, to be honest, I I I'm not a running back scout. I uh, I see I see things I love, and then I see things I hate. But I kind of go with the flow of the people more knowledgeable than me. Uh, I have to use the minds that are better than my own. Uh, there's an efficient market. I believe for the dynasty world, but when you're talking about the Devonte Parker's, the, the I'm not even saying Devonte Parker's a bust, but when you're talking about non-production in the second and third round, or even production that doesn't fit the mold of an NFL player to a standard type, I, I bail. I, I, I run away. That's why I'd run away from Tyreek Hill. I was going to say that people are comparing Hill and Patterson quite a bit, both in their, you know, their dynamic play on the field as a weapon at at multiple spots, you know, as return men and receivers and running the ball. But their dynasty value is doing the same thing. You know, Hill's going to end up probably as a fourth or fifth rounder in this month's uh, ADP. And wow. I think he's the type of player who that hype builds and, and grows throughout the offseason. So, I mean, if you told me right now that, in July, Tyreek Hill was a second rounder. I wouldn't be shocked. He's gonna he's gonna grow like that. They'll be like, oh, he's fast. Look at his vision on these punt returns. I don't care about a punt return. I want to see this guy make wide receiver plays. If he's gonna be a running back or an offensive weapon or the next table on Austin, who show me it. Just don't show me amazing football plays for a team that don't translate to fantasy long term. Yeah, but I look at Hill, and yeah, he's great. He's explosive. Um, he is developing as a wide receiver. You'll see him run, you know, corner routes and posts and things like that. But how many of those type of players have kept it up? I mean, Devin Hester was as explosive as anyone. They couldn't keep him on the field. I mean, maybe he's a little – maybe he's more Percy Harvin than he is Devin Hester, but a lot of those guys get injured, speaking of Percy Harvin. And, quote, gimmicky, quote, space players – don't work in the NFL like they do in the college level. Not to mention, this is as explosive as he'll ever be. And when he rolls an ankle in week four next year and does and only returns 97% or takes you know a bunch more big hits in his career and he's slightly less explosive, then he's gonna start taking a lot more hits. And all of a sudden, you know, the bloom's off the road. Yeah, then he's Jacoby Jones. Right. <laughs> Dwayne, what about rookie picks? How do you value those, especially in this offseason period? Um, I think it, it's fair to say, you know, we all are pretty comfortable in saying that um, those rookie picks are gaining value every day. As, as we get closer to your league's rookie draft, they're, they're getting more and more valuable. Are, are you in general waiting to sell those? Is there a certain time where you're pouncing? Are you buying those picks now? Or is it, do you think it's too late? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always waiting for the right offer. Some, the value climbs with the combine comes out, value climbs, you get the spike and then everybody on Twitter is talking, right? And you got nothing really else to talk about. So you're like, Hey, I kind of want to know this fun 
with my dynasty team. I, that's where I kind of avoid buying rookie picks. The only time that I really try to buy rookie picks, like 2018 picks, I'd be di- buying them the day, like before the 2017 rookie draft. Like as soon as MFL rolls over and those picks appear, that's when I'm trying to get them. That's when they're at their lowest people's, oh, I'm so focused on 2017. That's, I'm buying them at their lowest point, their highest point. So I'm waiting. Um, I don't believe that the absolute peak is during the rookie draft, as people do. Uh, I think there can actually be a fall after the combine when people are like, well, he didn't perform that well. There's where I get the right offer. There certainly is that sweet spot where everyone's super excited about them and you haven't heard the warts yet about the incoming class. Dwayne, let's talk a little, uh, I guess, general trade strategy now. Do you find yourself, I guess, locking in on one player and then trying to acquire that player in every league? Or is it more of a case of team-by-team specifics or team makeup? How do you approach that? It's league and – it's definitely league-specific. League and the owners that I play with, some have very – dramatically different views on players league to league compared to the consensus that we'd see on Twitter. So I really focus on, that's why I keep the league small. I really focus on what the owners are thinking rather than who I'm targeting. Uh, If if there's a Washington, uh, a guy who loves Washington players, I'm trying to kind of like, I'm not doing it right away and I'm not making it obvious, but he's getting offers with Washington players in there that he might think he's getting for free, but I'm really just looking to who you love and who you don't love and what's going to make a trade when I offer it to you, what's going to make it winning. You That's have an to- art form. That's not easy to do. So how, how are you doing that? I mean, a, a lot of times we might know, yeah, I'm in a league with this guy and he's a Redskins fan. But I guess what is the research that you're putting in to learn as much about the other owners as you can? Um, well, MFL has transaction records. So I'm kind of looking at their, their waiver bid. Like the, uh, I look at their who they've been bidding on, the type of player they've been bidding on. Um, I go to their Twitter feed. If they're on Twitter, most people are on Twitter now. Uh, I go to their Twitter feed. I react to the games they're watching. A lot of people will make time to watch that, the, the team they love. Um, they'll tweet something about it, or they'll tweet, like, Kirk Cousins is a top-five quarterback. Oh, I just know you're watching, dude. And then I watch the trades that you make. I, I watch, uh, like, I'll go to your transaction record. I'll, watch, I'll read every trade you make. Everybody reveals something in their habits. No doubt. Uh, I, I reveal that I'm just like, if people were to go down and look at my transaction records, they'll be like, oh, <laughs> this guy likes to. He's rather active. He's rather active. <laughs> I'm rather active. He's not yeah. trade averse. There's days where I'm just sitting at home bored and I'll send every league mate that I'm in an offer. And some of them get four. <laughs> I'll just go through your roster and I'll just be like, this is what it looks like you're trying to do. I'm going to send you an offer where you, lo- where you make progress to that goal, but I'm winning a little bit of value here. 
Dwayne, you're in five leagues, right? Yep. I'm yeah, in seven, and I almost feel like I'm in two too many, that I can't be as active as I want to be because I don't have as good a grasp on my team. Uh, that I think there is a fine layer there where it's hard to keep up with them all, and, and I kind of am amazed how well Ryan does it. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm in triple the leagues of Dwayne, but I've made, you know, a small uh, a small percentage of the trades that he has. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know I've sp- spread that out, but I- I'm not – I'm not as active as, you know, as he is and and maybe as you are, Matt, because it is, you know, it's taking that allotted time, whatever you have for, for fantasy and it's spreading it out over 15 leagues. So, I mean, it makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense that narrow down those leagues, you can put a heavier focus and then maybe you do get a hundred trades done in those leagues. I haven't said this for a while to our audience, but Dwayne, you might get a kick out of this. And this is my favorite thing to do is, you know, you have all the tabs up on your, on your browser. And I always have a uh, My Fantasy League tab up. And all my leagues are through them. And I'll go for like a week or two, and I just camp out in Hyperactive 4 or whatever. And I just attack that league. And any unsuspecting soul comes walking into the lobby that day, I'm going to hit them with four trades because I know they're at least paying attention. You know, like – I like to just sit there like a praying mantis as the prey goes by and just attack everyone I can. Oh, Matt, you, you, you nailed it. That's so much, yeah, it's the best way to do it. Concentrate on one league at a time and crush it and then move to the next one. Exactly. Get opportunistic. Yeah, I do like that. I, I, don't, I don't think that I, I do the camp out thing. Maybe I should, but um, I, I do like the idea of, you know, if I'm checking in on a league, maybe I'm just – submitting a waiver claim or turning in my roster for that week or whatever. And if I see somebody else online, you know, and, and MFL shows that for most leagues, then yeah, you know, you know, they're there. Take it, take a chance to send them a trade offer or just drum up a conversation. Hey, what are you looking for? Right. Right. So um, I think that's, you know, just a small thing that you can do that could lead to an increase in trade activity. Just hit them up with a, Hey, how you doing? What do you want for Jordan Howard? <laughs> Dwayne, how does trading differ for you in the offseason versus during the regular season? Well, in the offseason, people get enamored with potential. Like, enamored. It's... So, in the offseason, I'm really trying to build little pockets of production that I think I might have missed out. Older folks for nothing. Like nothing. I don't get why people sell some older players for nothing when they can put points on your board. And then in season, that's the time to buy the potential that you can sell the next season for the production again, gaining value, snowballing, and just packaging that up. I think that's a good point. I mean, veterans you can get for like nothing now, you know, once the season ends. Jonathan Stewart, you know, I'm just throwing any name out. I mean, guys are still playing well. But eventually these teams, there's 12 teams in the league normally, right? Right. Somebody's going to need that production. And they're going to send you more than you pay. Unless the risk with, uh, is that as soon as an injury pops up, you could be buying a dead asset. Like, uh, it's pretty easy to, for Arian. Right, right, right. 
so there's risk involved, but I trade so much. I have to, I mitigate my own risk. So, well, and a lot of times those, those players are so cheap that, you know, it, it's worth the risk. Right before the season started in one league, I was a contender, kind of, kind of weak at running back, uh, as, as a lot of my teams are. And I sent two thirds for Frank Gore and Arian Foster. So, you know, six weeks later, Arian Foster's off my team. He's retired and he's, and I've dumped him, but still, you know, I got a thousand yard runner in Frank Gore. I started him two or three or four times. And I, I think that worked out pretty well, probably for both of us. You know, the, the other guy was looking to get rid of that, uh, those older players stockpile some picks. So those are the types of deals who can, that can work for both parties. Gore is a perfect example. I mean, he might be the starter still next year. Oh, man. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, this guy never dies. Dwayne, have you found that it's better to target certain sets of players uh, at a specific time? I guess I'm thinking you could think about, uh, again, veterans. You kind of alluded to that already. Buying, you said buying potential in season and buying production during the offseason. What about positions? Is there any pattern that you've noticed there? Um, absolutely. I think like, I think, uh, well, especially you, Ryan, you, you noticed you were in a bunch of leagues and you noticed a big change when you started to go wide receiver heavy, right? Like, um, because running back fluctuates a lot. So everybody got on board with that. Zero running back started up last year. So I started buying running backs. They're just, they're cheap. You had their... That variance of zero running back, the reason that it worked sound, it just didn't work this year. So now people are back, oh, I'm going to buy some running backs. I'm going to sell some running backs. It's all about <laughs> value, right? Like, if, if you don't want a player, I'm going to, I'm going to grab them. And yeah, so now there's like the zero everything crowd. And there's too many crowds for me to keep up, really. Dwayne, when you're when you're formulating an offer, and this is this is the topic that I've seen wide variety of of answers and, and strategies. But when you're when you're ready to send that offer, are you sending your best offer, you know, from the start? Is there some wiggle room there? I've I've even seen some people advise sending a bad offer just to see if the other, you know, the other person bites. I I don't know if I would be on board with that strategy, but what is your plan of attack with that? I send my best offer minus a fourth round pick. Wow. So I'm always. That's less of a margin than I would. Yeah. Do. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I send everything I got because I want you to know that like, this is, I believe that you can win this deal. And if he says, I don't want him to come back and say, no, that's a terrible offer. Oh, that's the best offer I've gotten for this guy. I want you to consider it. And put you at the top and of the list. Be like, yeah, they'd be like, well, you're the first guy I'm going to come to if I decide to sell this guy. Cause some people hold. Um, and I'll be like, well, I'm kind of maxed out. But, you know, like if you need something, I'll toss you a fourth just to because some people need that crazy bump. Right. Like, I don't know why, but some people need it. So I'll usually collect a bunch of fourths and just make them like petty cash. <laughs> Never use the picks and just throw them in. So does that. Does that mindset result in you not having, I guess, a lot of back and forth negotiations? Is it the case where you make the offer and it, you know, it's either an accept or 
or reject and then you move on? Or do you still have a lot of that back and forth, you know, emails and offers and counter offers and Yeah, yeah. I send my best offers. Sometimes it's just flat rejected. That's when people don't put the comments in. If somebody comments, I'll usually send them back one email. Like not just, oh thanks, I appreciate your you're telling me what you were thinking on this, just to value it. I'll I'll usually just kind of put that in the mental bank. But sometimes they'll just go back and forth. But most times my offers, I'd say it's one out of every fifth, the email back and forth. Other than that, it's accept or reject. What about dynasty owners who are in leagues where they're just, there aren't many trades. There's, there's a low trade activity. What would be your advice in, in that situation? Uh, send out a hundred trade offers. Just pelt them, huh? Send, yeah, send them. Just hammer that league. Destroy it. Light up the message board. Do everything you can to get owners to log in. And make sure if you uh, MFL, which you should, everybody should have MFL. You want to see who's there and who's not. If a guy goes too long, I'm sending him offers. I'm shooting him messages. I'm being like, hey, I'm, I might even shoot him a message and say, hey, everything okay? You you good? <laughs> and uh, I know that things come up, right? But hey, doing my best, it, that's all you can do. You can't spam a lead, be like, hey, this league sucks. This league's dead. To keep plugging, it's, it's mostly up to you. Dwayne, I'm sure you've gotten this before, and I have on a couple of occasions, but when sending an offer – have you ever gotten rejected with the, I guess, with the reasoning of, you know, something I don't know, uh, you know, whether it's because you're the most active owner in the league or, you know, you're a writer for a fantasy football site. Is there ever that, you know, why do you want this player? What, what's going on here? What am I missing out? Uh, have you, have you seen that? And if so, how do you deal with that? I've actually gotten this quite a bit saying that, um, your team's too stacked. I've got a couple of really good teams. Your team's too stacked. You're lo- I'm losing this deal. I'm not sure how. Send them a Google. Uh, I'll, I'll send them a Google search for that player. And then I'll send them a Twitter search. And I'll be like, I'm not a sideline reporter. This is everything I read. This is on Twitter a lot. Sure, I'm active. I'm just going to give you the ability to see exactly what I see. The fact that I'm active mean I'm better than you at all. It just means I'm active. There's tons of horrible players who just constantly stay online. I want you to have every advantage that I have. I don't want to screw you because I want to, I want you to come back to me all the time. Like I'm an active trader. I rely on you. I want you to know what I know. This really helps my team and this might help your team too. Yeah, that's, that's not an easy process. What about along those same lines? What about folks who say they don't want to make a trade with you because you always win trades? Is there that, uh, I guess that sense of intimidation there? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I lose trades sometimes on purpose. I make so many that I know I can afford to lose a bad player, a player that I don't really believe in player. I believe in a little less flying off my roster in three weeks anyways i'll lose that uh, and i'll lose it on purpose and some players might be like oh that guy stayed on my roster i'm like well i'm glad that he stayed on your roster put him in the lineup against me and i'm gonna work him 
<laughs> but you won that deal, sure. You, you might have got a late third round pick out of value out of it, but I've won enough trades that I can keep going. I guess the whole conversation of winning and losing a trade is interesting. Like going back to your earlier Jordy and a first for Beckham trade, you know, after we had seen just a few weeks of, of Odell, do you think you won that trade or did you lose it because you overpaid? I made a good trade. I don't know if I won it. I don't know if I won it at that time because winning is all about like the value who stays on the roster the longest and what you've done to, for your squad. And I just think I made a helped me in the, in the long term win. I think that guy won the trade at that time. And that's okay. I was okay with losing it. Right. I mean, you, you got Beckham. Uh, it looks like a, a great trade now, you know, but at the time you think maybe, you know, maybe it could have been Jordy in a late second instead of a mid first or something like that. Absolutely. You have to be willing to make those kind of moves if you believe in the player. And uh, like you said, being willing to lose a trade sometimes is is the necessity as well. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. You've been great. Lots of great information about uh, Dynasty Trades. I'm going to go make some offers right now. Yeah, I'm uh, in the mood. <laughs> before, <laughs> before we do that, though, Dwayne, uh, just tell our listeners where they can find your work. Uh, I'm a DLF, of course, Dynasty League Football. I'm ranking there. Um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at DwayneB13. Um, and I hope to put out some good information for you off-season. We'll, I'll be coming out with a trade-aholic. I'm going to document every one of my trades this year so everybody can look back and either laugh at me or be like, hey, this guy might be onto something. I love it. That's a great idea for an article, Dwayne. It's already started. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Dwayne. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint.